Good morning, church. If you saw Mike bringing that microphone down, you're probably wondering, what's going on? Oh, stay tuned. It's, it's going to blow your mind. Just kidding. It's not going to blow your mind. Uh, today's passage is talking about the Lord's Supper. Um, if, you're, if you've been at church, you're probably familiar with the Lord's Supper, but I'll assert that it's talking about more than just the Lord's Supper. That said, because of the excellent teaching of Paul regarding the Lord's Supper, we're going to do the Lord's Supper today, and hopefully we can approach it uh, with some fresh perspective thanks to uh, God's Word today. So if you're uh, going to read along with, we'll be in 1 Corinthians, uh, still trucking on through, uh, the, the, the second half of chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to open it. If not, it'll be up on the screen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took, in the, same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. So, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things I will give directions... When I come, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray as we open up Scripture and we hear words that are maybe very familiar to us, perhaps we've heard them num numerous times in, in attending church or church services, uh, Lord, that we don't just brush this off as, oh, finally, you know, Scripture I know so I can tune out today and not be, not be thinking about it today, Lord. I think around this Scripture that maybe we're very familiar with, we see some context, we see some pleading from Paul. We see some pleading from you, Lord, on what it means to partake of the Lord's Supper and in many regards, any of the sacraments that we partake of in this church and how important it is for us to do so, not for our gain, not for our benefit, Lord, but for your glory. And the more we contemplate that and, and seek to understand that, the more glory it brings you and the more joy it brings us. Thank you for this time together, Lord. It's in your sons of my prayer. Amen. So whose supper do, do you eat? Decided that I'd go with that for the, uh, 
the name of the sermon because I think there's a little bit of an inflection here that if you are partaking of the, quote, Lord's Supper in a manner unworthy, it's not really the Lord's Supper you're eating at all. It's your own supper and, quite frankly, not a very tasty dish. You can eat and drink judgment upon yourself, and that's really no place you want to be when it comes to things like the judgment of the Lord. So we just talked about head coverings, an hour stick or something, but I think it's more. I don't believe Paul is trying to prescribe things that everybody needs to do. Here are the actions you need to be taking, church. I think he's addressing issues from a why perspective, not a how. Ask yourself why you are or are not covering your head. Ask yourself why you are partaking of the Lord's Supper in this manner or why Christ advised us to do so in that manner. Spend time in that. The how is important. Don't get me wrong. There are certain things that would be, would be inappropriate to do during the Lord's Supper. But the why here is what Paul's really getting to the crux of. Eventually, the why begins to spill out. When, you hear, when we read this passage, we hear about drunkenness. Like, what in the world's going on during the Lord's Supper? Exactly. If you start to diverge a little bit, it can get away from you really quick. So has anyone here ever heard of communion? <laughs> Probably. The Lord's Supper is very familiar to many, but this would have been relatively new at the time, right? This idea of partaking of the cup and following Jesus' command in this was not something that they would have done necessarily done regularly. It wasn't a Jewish tradition prior to this. Many didn't know what to do. And at this time, it had been very common for the Lord's Supper to be celebrated during a church meal, not a service. Now, at least the time that I've been attending church, I've never seen that happen where maybe it's a pitch-in and then everybody grabs some juice and bread and during the pitch-in calls that the Lord's Supper or just eats what they've got in front of them and says, this is the Lord's body and here's his blood. We typically do that in a very formal approach in the church. We take time, we set it aside. This is a good thing that we do that, but only so far as we understand why it's a good thing, right? Not just doing it. Doing, a, doing communion in par, as part of the service and, and having it be officiated by the elders or whatever doesn't intrinsically make communion good. The protocol that we follow, while helpful, still requires a heart condition, which is exactly what Paul's going to start driving into. So Paul gets right to business. He's got a lot of problems with you people. <clears throat> this, uh, this book starts to feel this way over and over and over. We talked a little bit in small group today. I want to plug small group. It's always a great time, great discussion about, you know, when you're trying to, in the workplace, uh, Leah called it the praise sandwich, where you say, hey, you're doing a really good job. However, I need you to work on this, but keep up the good work, right? You put a little praise at the beginning, a little praise in the, the, the end, and in the middle, you let them have it. Paul does a pretty good job of this, trying to let them know. Um, what's really interesting about Paul is in the middle of his praise sandwich, have you ever seen these sandwiches where you like take two grilled cheeses and you put a hamburger in the middle, and it's like a, like sandwich inception, sort of like there's a, anyway, he kind of does that. He opens this chapter with a praise sandwich, which is actually the bread for the next part here where he's about to get into it again, because he starts with, in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Um, he, just, he just got done going a little bit nuts on the whole uh, head covering idea, and he did a, a little bit of like, hey, knock it off, however, or you're doing pretty good, big fix this, but keep it up. And I was like, but another thing. So it's kind of like a Big Mac, maybe two meats and a bread in the middle. But he, the reason he's going into this is because the head covering issue, the real issue, and the Lord's Supper issue are very, very similar. Paul, it's, it's worth noting here that Paul's not bothered by one thing. It isn't like you're using the wrong kind of wine, or you should not be doing that outside where it's dirty. There's a compounding of issues here. 
You know there has to be because drunkenness during what we would consider, at least in our day and age, during communion, seems almost insane. I mean, how, much, how many cups of juice are you putting down when they go by? Also, what are you adding to the juice? I mean, it would be impossible in our service, for instance, to get drunk off of juice. But the point would be it, it wouldn't be impossible, perhaps, to overindulge in the Lord's Supper. You could take far too much. Why would you do it? That would seem crazy because we meet this out. We give you a cup. We give you a piece of bread. Everybody knows to take one. And this time, they're getting together for a church meal. And the people that have a lot of money have a lot of food. They have a lot of wine. They eat a lot of food. They drink a lot of wine. The people that are the poor don't bring anything. And so their Lord's Supper is nothing or whatever, scraps they can get from other people. And Paul's annoyed by this because that wasn't the purpose. What Christ did wasn't, hey, everybody take what you've got. He broke bread and shared the bread. He poured wine. This is supposed to be a communion. We are supposed to come together and, and commune with each other and Christ. <coughs> I think it's all very relevant because several slight deviations make for large error. Um, if you've ever dealt with a, a tape measure that's not correct, maybe it's been damaged badly and is off, and you start and you measure your first board and it's eight feet, but it's really like eight, eight feet and an eighth, and you keep going and you keep adding things up, by the time you get eight or ten of those boards in a row, now you're off by an inch. And you're like, how did this happen? I measured every board. Well, it was only off a little bit. Yeah, the same bit every single time. Now, if, technically, if you built the whole place that way, you might be able to get away with it. But it, what we see here is this, this tried and true example that tiny little things add up. Four in the first place. Let me tell you, as a, as a, as a kid that grew up and got on the wrong side of his parents a few times, if, if I was getting a dressing down and it started with in the first place, then I knew I was in for it because there's going to be more than one, clearly, right? We've got places, and this is only the first, the first of many. So Paul kind of vaults into this. There are divisions in the church. Uh, Leah touched on some prior scripture, which is fantastic, about this notion of divisions. <gasps> Gasp, right? Division in the church? Oh, no. We're, we're, we're totally shocked, right? No, we're not shocked. We still have this today. It runs as rampant today as it ever did. Paul will concede that some divisions are necessary. There'll be true believers. There'll be fake believers. Right? There will be some division in the church, naturally. People that don't accept Christ and those that do. But that is the, the, the divisions that Paul's talking about aren't those, aren't the ones that God basically has put in place. He's talking about these arbitrary divisions, the ones that we like to make, those that have been here for more than five years, those that remember the old auditorium, those that were here before we put the fans in, that like the old sound system, that preferred the prior pastor, that remember when the parking lot looked a different way or we were at a different location or the way we used to do communion. I'm, I'm part of that crew and you're not and you can't be because you had to have come more than five years ago to be part of that. These kinds of divisions are the ones that Paul's addressing. We make them up. The doctrines of men that were joined together better than God ever could have. No, the doctrines of men that divide. That's what men like to do. Mankind likes to separate out. You, good, you, bad. Sheeps and goats, we'll take care of it, God. We'll make it easy for you to sort that out. God doesn't require that of us, but we still love to do it. And when they gather, then they get in their little groups of factions, it's not even the Lord's Supper anymore. And this clearly bothers Paul. This is where we get to the whose supper do you eat. Some of the Lord's Supper go hungry. Others get drunk, and we assume probably are overeating at the same time, right? And the, the what there just cracks me up. I mean, that's, that's Paul's what. What? I, like, 
He's, he took time to write his disbelief out. It's a letter. What? I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is not the Lord's Supper. That's man's supper. Men like to show off and look at all the food we've got. We, brought a, uh, we bought nine turkeys and deep fried them all in our, our deep frying trailer. And look at all the things we've got because we're rich and God has provided for us. And what do you have? Nothing? Well, shame on you. I guess you ought to get it together. Paul's not having any of this. I love this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty two. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? <laughs> like, really? You got to bring all this crap out here and eat in front of everybody. Go home and eat till you're full. This is not the place for that. The point here is not to eat till you're full. The point is to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's something much more meaningful than eating a bunch of food. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those that have nothing? It's kind of a rhetorical question. Hopefully no one's going to say, absolutely, I do. I hate the church and I, I want to humiliate the poor people. But what Paul's saying is, if you do that, if you have a house to eat in, clearly you do, you're very rich, look at all of your food, and you choose to come out, then I can only infer that you don't like the church and that you hate the poor. Elsewise, nobody in their right mind who claims Christ would do what you're doing. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. No, I will not. May I tell you what? If there's stern words to hear from someone like Paul, no, I will not. Then I'll stop in your tracks. Shall I commend you in this? No, I'm not going to. I refuse to. There's nothing good about what you're doing in this regard. Not a single commendation. Well, I did share. I don't care. You parade all this stuff out, even if you share that much food. If somebody backed in with a trailer, an independent person backed in with a trailer filled with food and handed it all out, part of us would all say, you know, he sure is loving all the, the, the pomp and circumstance. Look how generous they are. Hey, everybody, good news. I've brought food for everybody today. Oh, you're our hero. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, no, I, it's the, the least I could do. I don't know about that. It's probably not the least you could do. And clearly, you know, you wanted to make a big show of it. Join me at 9 o'clock. It's like hosting a press conference to, to explain to everybody how charitable you are. Let me put together a foundation and fund that to let everybody know how charitable I am. Even if you, even if you brought food for everybody, the fact that you wanted to let everybody know you can afford to feed the whole congregation is a problem. And it's not what Christ was about. Christ didn't break bread to say, look at how much bread I can provide for you. That's not the point. It was to do in remembrance of Christ, what the act that was going to take place, of course, that we now remember. And Paul just is not going to have it. Go home. If you want to have a big meal and you want to enjoy all the nice things that God's provided you, go to your house and do it. You don't need to do that in front of everybody. There's no sense in it. The Lord's Supper is ordained by God. Paul does a great job here of, and I kind of highlighted the who, what, when, where, and why, and how. There's, you know, in, in, I'm no journalist, but there's a, a you know, notion about, hey, anytime you're going to talk about something, there's some key questions that nearly everybody cares about, right? If I were to say, there's been an accident, who's involved? Where was the accident? What happened? How did it happen? Why is, you know, why, could, why wasn't that taken care of ahead of time? These questions are always asked. Paul is going to get in front of all these. As he moves here through 23 through 30, he reminds them how the sacrament was given by Christ. He reminds them why it matters. 11.26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is serious. It's not just something we do inside of a, 
inside of closed walls, and we don't need the outside world to even see what's going on here. If a visitor comes and sees us do this, they say, why are they doing that? We should say, oh, this is, in, as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We want you all to know he died. He rose again. He didn't swoon on the cross. He wasn't just a smart guy. He explains how we do it. He explains why. And he explains what happens if they screw it up. Whoever therefore, 1127, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And then Paul reminds them who and when to partake. Therefore, or rather, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you were weak and ill and some have died. When do we partake? After we have examined ourselves. Who partakes? Anyone who eats and drinks without the discernment, not going to end well. If you know who Christ is and the, the, the Holy Communion means something to you, then partake of it. But do so very intentionally. Oh, here comes the cup. Boop. Here comes the bread. Chomp. Yeah. Good. I guess that did something, right? Like, a, like an antibiotic for my salvation or something. Not true. It starts in little places like that. Small deviations. Can we just do the Lord's Supper during our pitch-in? Can we just eat? Can we do drink this instead of that cheap wine? Can I bring my own wine? Well, I guess so. I'd rather eat my bread. I have a fancier bread that uses a better. Okay, that's cool. And then pretty soon, what do you have? The poor people starving, getting the scraps that are provided, everybody else eating all this opulent food. And we would say, well, that would never happen here. You'd be surprised. Serious repercussions. So we talk about this stuff, and it sounds like, oh, yeah, I've got to square that up. There's a few times in Scripture where things really kind of stop me on my tracks. This is one of them. That's why many of you, 1 Corinthians 11.30, check it out if you don't believe me. That, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Weak and ill and dead. For partaking in the Lord's Supper incorrectly. Well, that sounds, well, that's not true. I mean, isn't there forgiveness? Isn't, doesn't God want good for us? Yeah. However, Paul tells us right here, there are some things that are not worth kidding around with. The Lord's Supper is no place to sprinkle in a bunch of liberty and try to take it over for ourselves. To be very clear, that's not a lack of faith that is causing this. It's not a prosperity passage. I want to make that really clear. Paul is not saying because you didn't pray enough or you're not true believers, uh, that's why some of you are getting sick because of the communion. What he's saying is you do know what's going on. You know the truth. You've accepted the Lord and you are denying Christ what is rightfully his doing your own thing, ignoring the word, ignoring the, the covenant as described, doing it your way. And because of that, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. If you know better and you opt to drink judgment, it can kill you. Nearly everybody would agree. Do you want the judgment of the Lord poured in a cup that you can consume it? No, thank you. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody saying, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'll try a little. You know, no, no, thank you. I do not want the judgment of the Lord. What Paul's saying is that's basically what you're getting. If you take the Lord's Supper and you use the moniker of the Lord's Supper and then you turn it into something that it was not described as, not intended to be, you take it over, you make up your own hows and your own whys and your own whos, you are in deep trouble. So here's some of Paul's tips to avoid condemnation. 
Be honest about your condition and practice the sacrament rightly. We use the word sacrament sometimes. It's maybe a little bit more of a high church word or something like that. But basically, these are things that are set aside as very holy procedures. There are several in the, in the Bible, several of which we partake in all, every time we get together. We read the word. We, we do corporate worship. We lift, lift high the name of the Lord in song. And we partake of holy communion. We hear the teaching. All these things can be seen as sacraments. But we got to do them right. I can't come up here and just tell you stories about my childhood, fun times I had on a bicycle, and try to connect that to good life lessons. That's a, that's a misuse of the pulpit, and it's extremely dangerous for me and you. When it comes to communion, it's the same thing. There's a protocol by which we should be doing this, and the protocol is as, a, it's as important that we understand the heart condition behind the protocol as we understand the, the worldly practice of this event. However... While we're going through this thing, discipline from the Lord will come. Paul touches on this here here at the end of this, and it might seem a little bit disconnected. If we judge ourselves truly, we won't be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So if we begin, if the Lord begins to judge things in our lives that need to be fixed, if we're approaching this cup and we're saying, I know I've got some issues, God, I need this stuff. I, I need this stuff pruned for me. I'm too weak. I need your help in this regard. These things are weighing on my soul and, and I'm trying to get, but I want to be rid of this sin. I want to be rid of this struggle. I want to be better at generosity. I want to be better at hospitality. I want, I want to feel like I'm, I've got a spiritual gift and I'm using it for you, Lord, and I need help in all this. What, what we might find is God says, yes, you've been judged wanting in these areas. Allow me to discipline you. We should accept that and say, yes, Lord, please, help, help. I need you to correct me. I can't do it myself, right? Any parent that's ever had kids that have required discipline knows that you, at some point, must discipline. It could be, if there's a wide range of the scale of discipline. But without it, the idea that, well, kids are kind of self-correct and find their way is, uh, is nonsense. Now, after a time, we do expect that of ourselves, right? I've grown. And I do self-correct, thankfully, with the Lord's help in my life. But when you see people that have no moral compass at all, they, there's no God in their life, that they're long grown, and we see these people make a decision, we say to ourselves, these are grown men, these are grown women, and what are they doing? What, what do you think they're doing? Whatever they want. Why does it matter? What we see here is, Lord, discipline me. I need, I need assistance in these areas. I need this stuff cut from me. I need p- things put in its place. I want you throughout and when we see that as we come to the Lord's table and we say, as I partake of the body and the blood of Christ, I, I, Lord, I beseech you to, to, to help me again as you've helped me live forever through these, these, embl- these, these implements that I'm going to partake of. I'm reminded of the sacrifice you've already made for me, but I ask for more help. I ask for additional discipline, conviction in my life. When we come together for the Lord's Supper, don't showboat. It's easy to get up and pop in circumstance and whatever else. Like I said, maybe not as big of a deal today, but you, even without having lots of food and drink and, and everybody putting on their finest robes for communion, we don't do that sort of thing, it's pretty easy to sit and say, well, I really don't have anything. I'm, you know, I live a good life. I'm a good Christian man, so I'll take this, and I guess I'm doing Jesus a favor in some regards. Huge mistake. Very common thing to think there's nothing that needs pruning. No, be in prayer. You'll find something, guarantee it. God will point it out. 
There is work to be done in Chris's life every single minute of every single day. And let it not be for judgment, for the sacrament is intended. This is a double-edged sword. I love the word judgment here because there's judgment from Christ if we partake, or from God the Father, if you will, if we partake incorrectly. But there's also this notion of I'm going to, to judge others by the manner in which they partake. Not partaking properly. You're doing it wrong. You drank the cup of the juice in the back resort, or, you know, and then you've got, what do you have, half a glass of wine? That wine? That's hilarious. Right? I only drink wine that it's at least age 15 years. This is for God. I mean, let's bring out our best wine for God. And all of a sudden now we're sitting in a position where we're trying to govern the Lord's Supper to be handled in a certain way that God didn't describe, but what we demand of men. Here's a new doctrine on the, 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 the degree of, or, or the, the opulence for the materials by which we practice the Lord's Supper that'll need to be provided by you for your family. And if you can't do it, well, that's kind of a sad situation. You need to get your house in order so you can bring some good things in for communion. So what about us? I'd say for my, for my earlier point in the sermon, many of us have heard this about communion. It's usually explained every time we do it today. Mike's going to come and talk about it. He's not going to sit up here in silence and have everybody grab cups and then do something. We never, I mean, that would be bizarre. We always read something. We, we remind ourselves of why we do this, why we do what we do, how we're doing it to fulfill the description that's in the Word. Few churches practice communion in a manner this passage warns of. We don't have a lot of this, let's have a feast and call it the Lord's Supper, but we still have plenty of things that we can glean here. Let's talk about four specifically. Number one, division is the devil's desire. Number two, perfect practice makes the practice perfect. Number three, clear commands trump our liberties. And finally, don't, quote, go through the motions. Let's start with division because Paul started with division. There should be one division, saved and unsaved, love them both. So I wish that would be enough. That should be pretty simple, right? Oh, you're not saved? Well, then I hate you. Get out of the church. No, no, no. That's a division that exists that shouldn't impact the way we do things. Now, when it comes to those that are saved, that are trying to grow in Christ, we disciple them. We work together. We pray together. We fast together. We may not not be doing that with unbelievers because they don't see the value in that kind of stuff yet. That's okay. We practice communion as a family. As iron sharpens iron, we seek to sharpen one another. We proclaim God's word to one another. We pray together. We study together. We sing songs together to God about his own glory. But we ought not say, and then there's the unsaved, and they don't get to participate, or we treat them with disdain because they won't accept Christ. That's God's business, not ours. We're called to love. We're called to proclaim. We're called to teach. It's the great, the great commandment, the great commission for a reason. Any divisions beyond that one's asking for trouble. And as a reminder, even leadership in the church is part of membership in the church. We hear this a lot about, well, the leadership's just out to lunch, and they don't get it. Well, that's a shame, because leaders are members, right? Elders in the church, Mike and I, are members of the congregation. We submit to one another as congregants to leadership. That's the order of things. There is no one head here other than Christ. That's it. That's it. The rest of all these other divisions that come, well, there's a division in leadership. No, there shouldn't be a division in leadership. Just like there shouldn't be a division between a husband and a wife. There's no division there. There's some duties assigned to each. 
But they're one flesh. We are one church. Mike and I are elders, overseers, but we're part of the church. There's no division there. None. Anything that seems that way is a doctrine of men. Leaders get X, congregants get this. Well, then, if I'm a leader and not a congregant, I'm already doing it wrong. Already doing it wrong. First step, wrong. Kind of story of my life in many regards. But there's no me and family. I know there's an I. There's no I and team, but there's a me. I've heard all that. But the joke here is, of course, if we are taking this role of a church seriously and our role within it, it's not about us. We're here to serve others. Serve others in the congregation and serve others outside the congregation. Any division, any division is exactly what the devil wants. That's an easy one. Just get that splinter started, right? Everybody heard like a splinter and it starts bothering you and you pick at it and then you don't quite get it and you think, I'll just leave it alone. How bad could it be? Then it gets infected and now you're, now it's way worse than if you'd just taken the time to get rid of it when you could. Cancer, it's kind of like that too, right? You don't want to just leave it be. You got to deal with it at some point and the sooner, the better. Division in a church, man alive. It'll get roots way deep, all the way to the marrow of the church if you let it go around for too long. Then pretty soon you, re- you wake up one day and you realize we're not even a church. We're eight churches that all hate each other, and I can't tell that any of them love Christ anymore. Go look at the tales of mega churches that have detonated. And we can point to leadership and we can say, oh, that guy screwed it up or that lady screwed it up or whatever. But the congregants, the church itself, a bad leader, yeah, it can really hurt things. But at some point, as a family, we ought to be working together, talking together. Now, anybody ever been to a family reunion that had 11,000 people? Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to a family reunion to to hang out with your family, and there's 11,000 people that fill a stadium for a family reunion? You think you get around and visit all other 10,999 of them, catch up with them, how you doing, can I pray for you? You think that's going to happen in a day? How about a week? I don't think I could do it in a year. I don't know 10,000 people. I don't know 10,000 people. And we wonder why mega churches and gigantic congregations struggle in this space. Why there's all these divisions. I know why. Because a 10,000 member family is absurd to me. If, if a couple came to you and said, how many kids would you like to have? And you, they said, I don't know, maybe 9,998 kids. <laughs> We'd be like, <laughs> come on. How many do you really want? No, about 10,000. I think a 10,000-person family would be good. We'd say, knock it off. When we worry about division in our church, when we're trying to get to the root of this, the only way to do this is to be a family, to talk about this. Like what Paul's saying. I know what's going on. I've heard what's going on. I know the people that are involved in this, and y'all got to knock it off. If Paul's writing to a church that's 10,000 people, he probably doesn't know much anything. Of course, I think Paul would have said, you guys got to... Let's, let's break it up here. I mean, there's no way you can minister to, to 9,000 people. You can't hardly minister to 1,000 people, much less 10. Yeah, there's going to be divisions. It's impossible to, to avoid them. So when we pray for this in our church, and we've seen division come and go even in our small congregation, a, a great way to do it is to keep talking. Speak with one another about concerns. Ferret this stuff out early. Don't let it get too big, because if you tolerate it when it's small, and, and let's just make peace, let's just be nice, let's not start anything, let's, let's just treat people the way that they want, that I, way that I want to be treated. Well, I can tell you right now, I don't want people to see cancer in me and let it rot me out. I don't want that. Tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. Perfect practice makes the practice perfect. 
We should avoid trying to improve God's sacraments. Now, I'm not saying everything in the Bible is a sacrament, whatever God says, do it. Here, head coverings, boom. That's good enough. That, that's what we'll do. That's not what I'm saying. Sacraments are a bit different. There are protocols that are described in the Word perfectly. This is exactly what you need to do. This is the, this is the manner in which we're going to do it. The Great Commission, the Great Commandment, Holy Communion. These were given by Christ verbatim. There's not a lot to add to that. When we take those things, we kind of, well, but imagine, what, I'll tell you what, you hear this, you don't hear this. They'll say, I think we can improve it by doing this. What, what that really says is, um, I think God was a, came up a little short in that. God didn't anticipate what was happening in this world. He didn't see, he didn't see this uh, huge political divide in our nation. He did not know that was going to happen. That changes things. Utter garbage. God knew everything that was going to happen right now. There is enough in the Word of God as it is today to take care of anything we've got. And when it comes to these sacraments, specifically these holy, these holy ordinances that are given, mucking around with that, bad, bad, bad idea. Do it the way that it says to do it. And what we'll see is that will, over time, be, be more effective than anything we could ever hope for. The Lord's Supper practiced the way God ordained it and gave it to us will have greater impact than anything we could do, any other flowery thing we could wrap around it. And what we see in this example here is, is specifically the opposite happening. When they skewed from the prescribed, they're asking for trouble. In, a, in an attempt to improve it, it got worse. Let's add nicer wines when everybody can afford it. Well, that's okay. Then they'll just have what they have. Well, pretty soon, there's division. There's those that have the nicer wine and there's that have the lesser wine. If we came up here and everybody got a, got, got a cup of juice based on their giving for the prior year, do you think there'd be a division? I imagine. I imagine there'd be a huge one. People don't want to know how much, don't I want to get a small cup? I'll be embarrassed. Nor do I want a large cup. I'll think, but some people are like, well, I think a large cup's fine. I did give a lot. I deserve a large cup. All the juice I can like. This is like a bar. I can come in there and just get two or three cups of juice because I'm the big giver. No. We get away from that. Everybody gets a cup. Everybody gets bread. That's how we do it. It's important that we do what God has commanded and let that be enough. <clears throat> there are plenty of things in the Word that are open. And we talked about today. Judge for yourselves. There's wisdom in this. This calls for wisdom. There's plenty of opportunity in the Word for us to be thoughtful, prayerful, engage the Holy Spirit, and considerate, be considerate of one another and think about some interesting strategies to go and attack or tackle some specific things in our world. But there are things in the Bible that don't call for that. Along with that, anything that's very clearly commanded automatically trumps our liberties. Paul's been talking a lot about liberty, and you can kind of hopefully see how this is starting to dovetail in a little bit with God's commandments. We are given so much liberty. People outside the church will say, oh, Christians can't do anything. Well, it's nonsense. It's utter nonsense. There's, we, we, the sky's really the limit. The, the good news for us is when people are like, but you can't drink and you can't smoke and you can't have sex and you can't do this, the answer is, no, you can't. There's a construct for that. But the key thing is, regardless of the construct in which those things would exist, our minds are being renewed to where we're pursuing other things beyond worrying about smoking and drinking and having sex, well, ideally. And if you're not, spend some more time in the world. You're going to find there's so much more exciting things about life here and in eternity than smoking and drinking and sex and stuff. That, that is wonderful. God created all of it. Don't get me wrong. But it's not the end-all, be-all. And the world likes to hold up those things and say, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. I can't commit murder either. But neither can you because the, the laws of man prevent that. 
So don't, don't give me this idea that nobody's free. We have tons of that. However, when it comes to our liberties, especially these Christian liberties, we must use it wisely and never allow it to overrun God's commands. This is where the church starts to gum it up. We start to take the liberties of the world and bring them back into the church and say, well, when God gave us Christian liberty in this regard, he also probably didn't anticipate the sexual reawakening that's going on now. And really, that's, it may, he probably would be okay. He would most likely be okay with this. Now, it's, he's definitely okay with this. Now, it's, let's just edit the word of God. Let's just change the word because God misspoke. You know, men wrote it. Men were flawed, right? And all of a sudden, now we've taken these little deviations. And we find now that, like, we are just writing our own new scripture. Which, by the way, scripture talked about people doing. That's not new either. <laughs> but we don't want to do it. When it comes to clear commands, we want to be mindful. Paul's reminder of the sacrament of communion is telling. He didn't have to spell that out again. He could have just referenced it. He could have said, read it. I've already talked about that. Here's the... But no, he wrote it all out. Remember? Remember how this and A, B, C, D, E, and F? Does that sound familiar to anybody else? I mean, we talk a lot about, about Paul being like a teacher or a parent. It sounds exactly like parenting to me. You, can, you want to watch Emma roll her eyes? Say, now remember what you need to do today. It could have been enough. You need to get the dishes, bring the thing, pack your thing. I know, I know, bring that. Don't forget your water. Get your thing. I know, I know, I know. Okay, okay, you know. Next day. Got everything you need? Absolutely. Oops, I forgot my whatever. Wow. I forgot at one time. Well, that's why we remind you every time. That's how I read Paul's here. Remember, remember, remember communion? I remember first we take the, I know, Paul, I know, I know, I know, I know. No, you don't know. And the reason he knows they don't know is because they're mucking it up. Church, we're mucking it up too. If we're not careful, if we don't go back to the word and start, what was it again? Should we do wine? Should we do grape juice? Well, that's a great question. Comes up a lot in churches. To consult the word, settle on a thing. Here we do juice. Why? Some struggles with alcoholism in our congregation in the past, so it's not worth the risk. Oh, okay. Good enough. Do we see a problem with that? No. I don't see a, I don't see a biblical issue with that. If somebody sees a biblical issue with that, I think Mike and I would both be, would love to talk about it. If it needs to be wine, you believe it's a command, we've mucked it up, let's talk about it. Our goal is not to take it and turn it into something for Calvary Heights. This is Calvary Heights' way of communion, not God's way. It's our way. No, it's God's way. We must not turn God's sacraments into our sin. Boy, there's a, there's a line you cross real quick where you're good, and then all of a sudden you are not good. And this isn't going to be, you don't see here with Paul, you're not going to hear it from me. Here's the point. How many ounces? 11 ounces, good. 12 ounces, bad. Nope, don't know what that is. Now, I could probably say if everybody chugged a can of Welch's grape juice, that's probably bad. There's, you know, there's going to be a lot of indigestion, belching happening. That's a lot of juice to drink very quickly during communion. But I'm not saying it's a sin unless everyone starts to get into a contest of whoever can bring and drink the most grape juice. And it's like, oh, that's silly and stupid. It's exactly what would happen. Mark my words. If we were allowed to, pre- to prepare our own juice with no instruction, there would be people that would bring in a gallon of grape juice. That's a joke. And, and, then, we, and then he took the cup and said, yeah. Try to chug it all real quick, right? And everyone would be like, look, he did it. He drank the whole thing. It's incredible. Awesome. And Jesus is like, what's going on down there? Paul would be like, you're doing it again. You're doing it again. Well, I didn't. it's not a contest of who has the most juice. It's just who could drink the most juice. 
Well, that's a cool division. Those that can drink a gallon of juice. And, those, and it sounds like, well, this is silly and stupid. Nope. It went from sacrament into sin. We're allowed to bring our own juice. We're allowed to bring our own kinds of bread. Well, I brought a focaccia blend that I make with the herb, garlic. What? Oh, great. You want some of my bread? It's far better. Yeah, give me some of that bread. Well, now here's the people that I'm out of bread. Sorry, I only brought enough for the people I sit with. Seems crazy. It's not crazy at all. I've seen churches break up over the way communion is prepared. They want to try to do it a different way? Not on our watch. Oh, no, 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 no. Two, two plates, one with little bits of bread, one with juice. I'm not going up there and pulling bread out of a loaf. Jesus wouldn't have done that. <laughs> he probably did do that. Jesus had tiny wafers that came in the mail? No. He didn't. He, they took bread and broke it. Probably wasn't even leavened. But that's not the point. The point was not to, what's the exact order of bread. It's what is communion about? What, are we, what, what makes a sacrament a sacrament? It's saying this is for God. By God, for God, through me. That's a mystery, but that's what's happening. If I try to take it by God, make it for me, through me, big trouble. Don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now I'm not going to tell you, church, that some of you are weak and ill or dying because you're not partaking of communion right. I don't know that. Nor does Paul. But he's saying, I can, Paul's connecting those dots. You just completely disparaging the word and doing what you want is a problem. And lastly here, don't go through the motions. Just right on the heels of just abject focusing on myself is focusing on nothing. Examine yourself before ever partaking. We're going to do this today. Take some time to be mindful of what this represents. The immensity of the sacrifice made. What we commemorate in Holy Communion is mind-boggling. Don't just do it for the Lord's Supper, but do it at all times. It's deadly serious, and Paul's not being hyperbolic. He's not just, oh, it'll kill you, you know? When you're a kid, oh, don't sit close to the TV. It'll make your eyes burn out, or you'll go cross-eyed or whatever. Well, no, maybe, maybe not. That, that's not this. That's not like, if you don't do what I tell you, you'll die. Paul's saying, if you think you're going to toy around with God, get ready to be sick or die. Because that's what waits. When you start, when you start drinking judgment, <laughs> you, don't get, you don't get over that. That's not the kind of thing that happens. You need God to make that different. Mindlessness is no different than sinful intent. If I'm just like, juice, juice, I don't even think about it. It doesn't mean a thing to me. You know, God warns us about this whole idea. Lukewarm tends to spit that stuff out. You don't want to be lukewarm. Go into this mindful. Be vigilant with what's happening. Think about the events that are unfolding. Think about what they represent and why God commanded us to do the things that we do. But take heart, beloved. We're not in in a negative way here. If you're not sure about this, if what we're talking about today is confusing or, man, I've done communion a thousand times, I've never even thought about it. I don't even know that I believe. Have I been drinking judgment on myself? Maybe. But if you want to know more about Jesus or the Lord's Supper, we'd love to talk. Office at Calvary Hides. Hit us up on Facebook. Our desire is to make known the name of Jesus, and we're going to do so through the Word of God. If you're a believer, pray for guidance in approaching God's work with the right attitude. There should be an S on there. It's no joke. The stuff that we do for God, we want to be in a right, right headspace to do it. We don't want to be phoning it in, or we don't want to be doing it incorrectly. And if you're looking for a church family, welcome home. We'd love to have you. We're just shy of 10,000 members, so 
that's the line I've drawn for us as a congregation. So you're welcome in right now. Or, but we're getting close, so get in while the getting's good. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you are looking for a church family, though, we'd love to have you. This is what we do together. We get together. We hear the word. We, we, we sing praise to God. We study the word. We do the same thing in our small groups. And uh, that's what it's all about. We want to do right by God in the way that God has described for us. And uh, as we move here to take our communion time together, let's be mindful of that. Let's be thoughtful of this. And, let, and not let it just be another thing that we do or not let us get caught up in the pomp and circumstance of it or that it sets us apart because we can partake and they can't. This is a time for us to remember what Christ did for us, a sacrament. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word. I thank, thank you, I thank you for the, the sword that it is, that it can cut. Lord, and I pray that it begins already to cut out of us Bits of behavior, desires, a confusion, Lord. Take that away. Let us be able to focus on you fully, wholly, totally. The sacrifice that you made for us, the work that you have done for us to make it possible for us to commune with you forever. I'm thankful for this time. I'm thankful for a church family that we can partake in the Lord's Supper together. And Lord, I just pray that as we do this, we take heed of the words that we found today in 1 Corinthians and we allow ourselves to be put aside, our desires to be put aside, the divisions that we may have, we have that we hold dear. Let us set all that aside, Lord, and focus on you completely. Thank you again for this.